Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And so today we are uh, looking at part of the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. And so will you please open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. Luke 2, verses 8 to 20. Um, these will likely be very familiar verses to, to most of us. Um, but I've found over the years that sometimes that the passages in Scripture that we that we think that we are most familiar with actually have a lot more to teach us than, than we often think. The uh, J.C. Ryle, the 19th century uh, English pastor, said this about what we have in these verses. He says, we have in these verses, in Luke 2, 8 to 20, the announcement of the most marvelous event that ever happened in this world, the incarnation and birth of Jesus it's a passage which we should always read with mingled wonder, love, and praise. And that's, that's my hope for us this morning, is that we would, we would read and we would hear this passage with wonder, love, and praise, even if we know it very well. See, I pray for you and for me, for your family, for my family, this Christmas and every Christmas would be a mixture of wonder, love, and praise mingled together. So here now... God's holy, inerrant, infallible, life-giving word, Luke 2, beginning in verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them, this is the word of the Lord. And it's absolutely true. And it's given to us in love for our good. And so we're going to simply walk through this passage together. We're going to pay a particular attention to, to what the angels say, what the one angel says to the shepherds, and then what the angels, this heavenly choir, sing to the shepherds. And so let's look at verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And so the, the same region is the, the region of the little town of Bethlehem where the young virgin Mary had given birth to the Christ child and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in, in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. And you see, verse 8 then goes on to simply describe you know, the, a first century shepherd's job description. Right, which was to, to live and to sleep out in the field among the sheep, keeping watch over their flock by night. But, but as we're going to see, the shepherds are important to this passage because God the Father sends the angels to share the big news of, of the birth of Christ, of God the Son taking on flesh, being born as this little baby. He shares this news first with the shepherds. 
And, and I think if we think about it, then we know that the, whenever big news happens to us, okay, the, 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 the order in which, of the people in which we share it to matters, right? Who, who we tell big news to, who we share big news to first, it makes a statement, you know, young men learn this lesson often the hard way when they first get engaged, right? We learn you know, it matters. Who we tell first, right? Who we tell big news to first makes a statement. Okay, so keep that in mind. We're going to come back to it in a few minutes. But the announcement of the, the big news that the eternal Son of God had become a baby, had taken on flesh, first came to the shepherds. Not, not to a king, not to priests. Not to scribes, not to Pharisees, but to shepherds. Okay, so more on that a little bit later. Then look at verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So that word translated angel literally means messenger. So God sent a messenger to deliver the most important of messages to the shepherds. And before we get to the actual content of the message, I mean, try to imagine this scene if you can. Right, these shepherds, they're out in this field, most likely in the middle of nowhere, some remote area, in the pitch black darkness of night. And then as the text says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And we're not given more details than this, but, but we know that, that the glory of the Lord just suddenly burst forth in this pitch black dark night. And it was startling. It was shocking. And we read that the shepherds were filled with great fear. And then we see in verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, now, every word that the angel says here is important. To begin saying, fear not. And you may know from, from studying you know, other passages in the Bible, whenever angels appear, the angels can be terrifying creatures. And so they say, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Right, and that phrase translated good news Right, it's the Greek word for gospel. Okay, so, so well, what is this good news? What, what is this, this good news of great joy? What is this gospel? Well, the angel tells us. He says, it is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. See, it's, good, it's the good news of great joy, the, the, the true joy of Christmas. And that true joy of Christmas has not changed from that first Christmas until now. D do you know that? That true joy of Christmas, it's, it's the same as it ever has been. And but we often, we often get, get it mixed up, though. We, we, we often mix up the true joy of Christmas with many of the other good things surrounding Christmas. We make those good things, or we try to make those good things sometimes, the, the main thing. You see, the, the, the true joy of Christmas is not... It's not merely being with family, as much as we love our families. The true joy of Christmas is not being off from work or off from school, as much as we enjoy our vacation time. The, the true joy of Christmas is not even found in the presence that we get so excited to give and to receive. You know, what I'm about to say to you is what you already know. I know you've already experienced this. Some of you, for, for many years and many decades, we know this but if we try to make any of these good things the, the ultimate thing about Christmas, the, the ultimate joy about Christmas, then I guarantee you, you're going to be disappointed. And my guess is, in, in a room 
this size that many of us, we know what this disappointment feels like. Right? I mean, you, you can try to make the perfect Christmas plans. And I know you do. We I mean, try, to, try to pick out the, the perfect presents. We're going to try to prepare the perfect meal. But it's never, ever perfect. It's never truly, ultimately satisfying. You know, it, never, it never lives up to the, to the hype that we build up in our minds. It's never heart-changing. And that's because none of that, as good as it is, as great as some of that is, none of that is where we find the true joy of Christmas. The true joy of Christmas is the good news that the eternal divine Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, took on flesh and became a man to save his people from their sins. That baby born in that Bethlehem manger lived a life of perfect obedience and righteousness. And he suffered, bled, and died on Calvary's cross. And he rose victoriously from the grave to save sinners like us. That's the good news of great joy that the angels shared with the shepherds that first Christmas. Well, what else do the angels say? Look at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So the joyful good news was about the, the birth of a baby, and, and we know from our position in redemptive history that the good news, the gospel, is about the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world and to trust all who would, who would put their trust in him. But before Jesus would go to the cross and rise from the empty tomb, he was first born in this Bethlehem manger. What was truly surprising about the angel's message of good news, of great joy in verse 11, is that word unto. That they say, the angel says, this baby was born unto the shepherds. Now, pastor and president of Wheaton College, Philip Graham Ryken says this. The angel said, unto you is born. These words are like a tag on a Christmas present that says to and from. The angels were placing a tag on the manger that said, to the shepherds from God. Now think about that. I mean, remember what I said earlier, that, that who we tell big, important news to first makes a statement. And we should be careful not to miss this detail that God intentionally told the shepherds the big news of Jesus' birth first. And, and this, this matters. It sends a, an important message to us, makes a statement because of who the shepherds were. Now, uh, my oldest daughter, Lillian, may not remember this, but there was a time when, years ago, when she was, she was very, very excited uh, to receive a promotion from, from playing the role of innkeeper to being one of the shepherds, okay, on Christmas Eve here at this church. She was very excited. However, she was excited because she, like most of us, don't really understand the social standing of shepherds in the first century. Because if we understand that, it's not a promotion from innkeeper to shepherd, Okay, not from the world's perspective 2,000 years ago. And so again, this is what Philip Ryken says. I think this is helpful. Shepherds were outcasts, and thus their presence at the manger shows that salvation is for everyone. We tend to romanticize the shepherds, especially since there are so many good shepherds in the Bible, but they did not enjoy a very good reputation in their day. Because they lived out in the fields, they were unable to keep the ceremonial law, and thus they were treated as unclean. 
They were also regarded as liars and thieves. They had a hard time differentiating between, you know, thine and mine. Which is why their testimony was inadmissible in a court of law. Shepherds were despised. With the exception of lepers, they were the lowest class of men in Israel. Yet these were the men God wanted to hear the gospel. Working class sinners. Like everything else about the birth of Christ, this upsets our expectations. That we tend to think that God is for the imagined good people, when in fact he's for needy sinners who are desperate for grace. If God had grace for the shepherds, he has grace for any poor sinner who will come to Jesus in faith. So you look again at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. See, the fact that that Jesus was born unto the shepherds makes the statement that God is just as likely to save the king as he is to save the king's gardener. The king and his gardener are both in need of the same grace. And And God has grace for both of them. God has grace for the lowly shepherds, and God has grace for sinners like you and like me. If only we will see our need for a savior, and we will trust in Christ alone. That we'll rest in faith that he is the savior that we need. That we're not saved by our good works. We're not saved by trying to turn over a new leaf. We're not saved by whatever New Year's resolutions we're going to come up with in the next week. That we are saved by the finished work of Christ. So the application point here is that if the tag on that first Christmas present was to the shepherds from God, then that means it's also to you, to me from God. Well, what else does the angel say about the true good news of Christmas? Well, look again at verse 11. The baby was born in the city of David. Born in the city of David. This is reminding the shepherds and us of that old promise we've been talking about all throughout the Advent, all throughout the month of December, this promise that God gave to David, the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel 7. This prophet that came a thousand years before the birth of Christ that God promised the forever king for God's people would be a descendant of King David. And so Luke draws attention to this in telling us what the angel says to the shepherds. And remember, this is how Matthew opens the New Testament. Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of David, David's hometown. And the good news of great joy is that the king God's people have longed for Throughout all the centuries, he has come. And so try to imagine what it must have been like to be these shepherds and to hear this news. I mean, imagine that. I mean, this this is like, you know, hearing the news that the boy Arthur, you know, pulled Excalibur out of the stone. It's like hearing the news that Aragorn, the long-awaited heir of Isildur, has returned. Except this message of the shepherds heard from the angel was actually true. It's not a myth. Not a fairy tale. It's not in the galaxy far, far away. It's not once upon a time. Then look again at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. See, the word Savior, Jesus came to be our Savior, our deliverer, our rescuer. He came to save us from our great enemies of Satan, sin, and death itself. And the shepherds could not have possibly understood 
how Jesus would do all of this, or maybe even that he would deliver us from all of these deadly enemies by dying on Calvary's cross to atone for, to pay for our sins, and to give us his righteousness and the gift of eternal life. But the shepherds did hear that the special baby boy born that very day had come to bring salvation. For unto you is born a Savior. But then there's more. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ, the Greek form, Greek term for Messiah, that literally means anointed one. And Christ is this Messiah, this Savior that God had promised to send to his people. That he had promised way back at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 3.15 that there would be a son, an offspring of the woman who would be born, who would come, and who would defeat the serpent, who would defeat Satan, that though the serpent would, would, would bruise his heel, he would crush his head. And what we see here now in the fullness of time, God has sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. That title, Lord, clearly points to Jesus' deity, and his divine sovereign rule over all things. And so in a word, the angel said that baby born that day was the Lord God come in the flesh. Philip Ryken adds, this was the first time that the words Christ and Lord had ever been brought together. It was an unprecedented combination. Jesus is the Lord Christ. This meant that the promised and anointed Savior was none other than God himself appearing in the flesh. He's Emmanuel, God the Son in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us to be for us, to save us from our sin. Now look at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Okay, so how would the shepherds know for certain they had found the right baby? I mean, which baby was the Savior who is Christ the Lord? Well, the Christ child will not be wrapped in purple silk studded with jewels, it was wrapped in swaddling cloths. The Christ child will not be found in a palace, lying in an ornate golden cradle, but he's in a a cave, in a manger, lying in a feeding trough. See, in humility, your Savior came to earth for you, coming down from heaven to take on flesh and to dwell among us, to be God with us, to be God for us, to be God, our Savior, who would save us. Did Jesus' life on earth be marked by humility and humiliation from that first Christmas through Calvary's cross when he would take upon himself all of the dishonor our sins deserve to deliver us from our sins? You see, all of this was the angel's message to the shepherds. And so consider this. I mean, without this message, the shepherds would have never known the Christ child had been born. They would would have never known any of this unless God revealed it to them by way of a messenger. So friends, listen, hear this reminder on Christmas morning. Reminds us of how much we need the preaching of God's word. That, That God has sent Jesus to be born that very day, a short distance away, but the shepherds needed someone to tell them what God had done. They needed someone to explain to them what God had done. Someone to explain to them what was special about this baby lying in the manger. You see, God not only does things in human history, but God has said things. And we need to know what God has said in his word. In his word, which is 
absolutely true, which is given to us in love for our good. If only we will read it. If only, as Patrick prayed earlier, that we, we, we would cherish it, we would hide it in our hearts. We would value sitting under the faithful preaching of it. Okay, now look again, look at verse 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so suddenly the night sky was flooded, not just with one angel, but with many angels, more angels than the shepherds could count, a, a multitude, and they're praising God, and they're saying, glory to God in the highest, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so this chorus of angels, they, they sang a, a hymn that came down from heaven that night. And J.C. Ryle says, now has come the highest degree of glory to God by the appearing of his son, Jesus Christ, in the world. He, by his life and death on the cross, will glorify God's attributes, justice, holiness, mercy, and wisdom, as they never were glorified before. Creation glorified God, but not so much as redemption. And so, so look, look again at verse 14, this song that the angels sang. You see, that the birth of the Christ child was so glorious because he came to bring peace. But, but this peace can be misunderstood. And so I want us to look at, compare, that, that top verse on the screen is from the ESV. That second verse is from the older King James Version of the Bible. And the old King James Version rendered this verse, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. However, the overwhelmingly uh, scholarly consensus is that our ESV translation of verse 14 is the much more accurate translation. Okay, and you may ask, well, Richard, what difference does that make? Well, look closely at these two versions. The King James Version could be misunderstood to mean that everyone in the world would automatically have peace simply because Jesus had been born. But the ESV translation includes that final phrase, with whom he, with whom God is pleased. And scholars agree that's a technical phrase for God's elect. For those who have been saved by, marked by, set apart by the grace of God. Those people on whom God has poured out his undeserved, unmerited favor. Okay, well, what difference does it make that, that verse 14 speaks of, of peace for those people who God saves by his grace? Well, it makes all the difference in the world. It means an eternal difference when you realize that verse 14 is first and foremost speaking about peace, reconciliation with God. You see, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come to make peace between a holy God and sinful people like us. That Jesus did not come primarily to make peace between us and other people. He did not primarily come to, to give us harmonious relationships. Sometimes faith in Christ makes our relationships a lot harder. You know, Jesus did not come primarily to make peace within us, to give us inner tranquility, although Faith in Christ and living obediently to his word will give you the blessing of a clean conscience. And that is a great blessing. But the point of verse 14 is that Jesus came to make peace between a perfect and holy, righteous God and sinful people like us. You see, a sinner who's not washed clean by the blood of Jesus and clothed in Christ's righteousness is not at peace with God. That if you are not in Christ, friends, you are not in a neutral standing with God. You're not in a neutral relationship towards him. 
Do you realize that apart from the salvation that comes through faith in Christ, the Bible says that, that, that we are God's enemies? See, our sin, our rebellion against God, shaking our fists in rebellion against him, choosing to, 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 to make our own way, to do what's right in our own eyes, makes God our enemy, puts us in opposition to him. Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans 5, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. You see, apart from faith in Jesus, we are God's enemies. Now you're hearing this and you may be thinking, Richard, this is not a very Christmassy message, man. Friends, no. This is the one and only Christmas message. This is the only Christmas message. The Christmas message is that there is hope. There's hope for sinners like us. There's hope for for ruined humanity. Hope for you and hope for me. Hope of pardon. Hope of forgiveness. Hope of adoption into God's family. Hope of peace with God because in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We might be at peace with God, reconciled to him. Well, how does this happen? How is peace between sinners like us and a holy God even possible? Well, it's through Jesus' life and death. It's through his shed blood. Listen to how Paul puts it in Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, Jesus made peace with God for sinners who trust in Christ by faith. And, and there, there are two you know, technical theological terms that help us understand how Jesus made peace with God, between God and sinners like us. These two terms are expiation and propitiation. They help us understand what Jesus did. Expiation, Jesus' death was a removal of our sins that our sins were imputed or transferred to Christ, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, and he died in our place, and our sins were punished on the cross. Therefore, for us, no further penalty remains, that our sins are covered, and that Jesus is our propitiation, that his death was a sacrifice to turn away God's just and righteous and holy wrath, which our sins deserve. And so the promised peace in verse 14 reminds us that if you're in Christ, the good news of great joy is that Jesus' blood has covered you, taken away your guilt, turned away God's wrath, that you really do have peace with God, that you are known by God, you're loved by God, you're truly forgiven, you're accepted, you're adopted. And this is not based on anything that you've done. You didn't earn it, so you cannot lose it. This is based on what Jesus did, what he accomplished, what he suffered for you, what he has purchased for you with his blood. You see, knowing this, friends, knowing this is to know the the true Christmas joy. And so let me ask you, I mean, do, do you have this joy this morning? If not, do you want it? The invitation is to trust Christ. If you want it, come and get it. Trust Christ. 
Remember the words from one of the Christmas hymns that we sang earlier in the service. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That's the peace the angels sang about. J.C. Ryle says, peace on earth, the song goes on. Now has come to earth the peace of God which passes all understanding. The peace between a holy God and sinful man, which Christ was to purchase with his own blood. The peace which is offered freely to all mankind. The peace which, once admitted into the heart, makes men and women live at peace with one another and will one day overspread the whole world. And so do you have this peace with God through the blood of Christ's cross? Have you received this atonement for your sins? Has the guilt of your sin been covered by the blood of Jesus? Has he worked in your heart and life? How has he worked in your heart? How is he working in your heart today? If not, how will you respond to this Christmas message? See, the angel's song of this peace with God, it demands a response. It demanded a response from the shepherds. And so listen to the rest of the passage. Luke 2, 15 to 20. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, not everyone who heard the shepherds' message about the Christ child believed and responded like the shepherds believed and responded. They were even told that that even Mary treasured and pondered, seemingly prayerfully mulling it all over, seeking to understand all that happened in her and to her and who her newborn son really was. And what he would do for the glory of God the Father and and for the good of sinners like us. See, this is the good news of great joy. The good news of great joy the angel proclaimed to the shepherds that first Christmas night. True Christmas joy. The true Christmas joy of a Savior born in Bethlehem. And if you trust in Christ, if you trust in God the Son who took on flesh, who lived the perfect righteous life, who died the atoning death on the cross, who rose victoriously from the grave on that Easter morning, then he will forgive you. He'll save you. He'll change you. And you'll become like the shepherds. I mean, they they were turned into worshiping witnesses. That they couldn't stop telling everyone what they had heard and seen, and and they could not and would not stop glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And friends, this should be the response to the true Christmas joy of faith in Jesus the Savior. The response should be, I want everyone else to know what what I know. I can't believe this good news is so wonderful. If people only knew that that this this gift was from God to, to me, to them, to sinners like us. So do you believe this good news? Has the gospel of God's grace ever changed your life? You know, what is it doing in your life today? What's it doing in your life this Christmas? Do you have this Christmas joy? My prayer for you, for me, for us, is that we would all be worshiping witnesses to this true Christmas story, this true Christmas joy, to Jesus our Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And may today, this, this Christmas, 
Be filled with wonder, love, and praise all mingled together for you and for your family. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message, this news of great joy. This Christmas message that there is hope for ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with you, hope of glory. Because at your, at your will, Jesus Christ became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross and rise from the grave. It's the most wonderful message the world has ever heard or will hear. God, please, make each and every one of us worshiping witnesses whose minds and hearts are filled with wonder, love, and praise this day. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.